Church, we uh, just uh, pray that God will really use that time to draw them closer to the living God. You know, if you look at the Psalms, Psalms are interesting uh, study in so many different ways because it's uh, written in a variety of different kind of avenues in terms of what's going on in terms of the heart of the, the writer as uh, God's inspired him to uh, put out truth for us. In Psalm 42, verse 1, it, it really is a psalm which is spoken to God. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. So you're saying that to whom? To God. So as we say that, we don't want to make that a four. We talked about one to ten in terms of a particular echo song. So let's, let's make that a ten. And it doesn't mean a ten has to be volume. And you can look up if you haven't got it quite memorized. But as we say that psalm, uh, those, that first verse, let's, let's say it as we're saying it to God. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. And we really desire in this series of knowing God that that's the expression of our heart. That, that we, really, we really recognize in speaking to God of, of really what is the pursuit of our life. That we want to long for Him. Long for Him as we would long to be hydrated on a, on a warm, hot day. That we would, we, we would have a thirst for Him. And, and that's the greatest thirst that we can have. One of the avenues by which we've been encouraging that is to, to study God's Word uh, through various ways. And one is we have a book called Forgotten God. And if you haven't quite picked that up and for some reason you haven't joined a small group, you can still buy that book. Normally it's $14.99 plus tax, and we're going to sell it for you for $7. So in the Fellowship Hall, uh, you can pick up a book if you haven't gotten one. So let's look forward one more time in prayer as we uh, prepare to get in God's Word again. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for just the opportunity to... Uh, rejoice in you and to acknowledge that we've found Jesus, if that's been our experience. And we pray as we have found you that we might know you deeper and deeper. And if we haven't come to that place, might this be the day in which we uh, discover uh, that life's most important step, which is to know Christ in a personal way. Now, Father, we pray that you might keep our minds alert and alive to your truth. And might we uh, seek you today from your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this past week, I was reading a story about this young father, and he was having an experience with his uh, young child, who was a three-year-old, and the story went something like this. On a summer do- uh, day, he took his three-year-old daughter to a kiddie park, in, and this was in Dallas, to ride uh, the ride. He, he put her on a small ride, which she insisted on trying, even though it was the scariest. Looking back at experiences with my children, there were times where they wanted to do something, and yet they were kind of scared, but they wanted to do something, and yet they were scared. Uh, but she wanted to do this, and so she, she whipped around the corners in the kitty car, and she wrinkled up her face into a terrified cry. He, 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 the father, tried to catch her attention, and finally she caught my eye, his daughter, and he was smiling and shouting, Hey, this is fun! When she saw that he was not terrified, but smiling, she also began to smile. What was once terrifying became enjoyable, even even fun. And if that be true in terms of a little girl on a kiddie ride, that looking at it to begin was a little scary, and then getting on it, I'm not sure I made the right decision. But being in the sight of one she trusted, her, her fears turned to joy, and her fright turned to expressions of, of laughter and smiling. And as we think about God, God is going to put us in times where we're going to be on life's edge. And there are going to be times where we're going to wonder, can we really go the next step? 
And, and what we need to do to face life's fears is not to, to re-decide on what is afraid, fearful and not fearful, is to look to the one who can take away our fear. Or, probably even more appropriate, to take our fear and turn that into trust. This morning, the message is entitled, Who's Afraid of the Holy Spirit? And we're going to be preaching a little bit more along the lines, at least the themes in the Forgotten God series. But as you think about that, you might be thinking, well, well, that's kind of a dumb question. Who who would be afraid of the Holy Spirit? Uh, Some people in our our groups that we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and and for some it's, it's a brand new thought in terms of having any kind of a relationship to the person who's called the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, if you look at the King James Bible. Uh, for some people, the only ghost they know is Casper the, what kind of ghost? The friendly ghost. Uh, but as we think about the Holy Spirit, the Holy, Holy Spirit uh, can be our most intimate friend, but that doesn't mean he's always going to take us down paths that are easy for us to take. And, and so this morning, we're, we're going to look at who's afraid of the Holy Spirit, but we're going to look at it in primarily two ways. One is, um, as you think about fear, you can have either an unhealthy fear or you can have a healthy fear. And, and as we think about that, that's so critical for us as we think about knowing God and living with God and for God. But before we do that, and, I, and I've now pared down our review, as you think about knowing God, you need to know who God is. We've spent a lot of time on what God is, who is God. And, and as we think about who is God, the Bible has been very clear in, in terms of revealing who He is. God is one. There aren't many gods. We don't believe in a pantheon of gods. We believe in one God. There's only one supreme being. There's only one essence of God. But the Bible does that which we would not anticipate. But God reveals more fully who he is that we would not come to understanding our own. But that in the one God, there are three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And and when we discover and desire to To thirst after God, we want to know God in His fullness, and we'll never know God in His fullness unless we understand His three personhoods in terms of understanding how He is as a Father and the fatherhood of God, understanding God the Son, and understanding God the Holy Spirit. Well, last week we ventured on at least giving an introductory statement concerning who is God the Holy Spirit. And it begins at the beginning. And I had an interesting conversation that I may or may not have time to give you a little bit of a window into this, in this conversation this past week of a person who uh, was at great odds with me with the very first point that we made last week. And that if we're going to understand who the Holy Spirit is, it begins with understanding the Holy Spirit is God. That he's not some angel, angelic being. He's not just a force. He's just not a power. He's not just a guide. But he is God Almighty. And if you don't get that point right, then as far as understanding the Bible, you're not going to get anything right as far as understanding who God is. But not only is the Holy Spirit God, as we looked at last week, He's the glorifier of Christ in many ways, and that's the reason why often uh, the Holy Spirit is the forgotten God, because His whole role is to glorify Christ, is to lift Him up, bringing people to understand who Jesus is. I've been sharing one of my groups this past week. As we understand who God is, it doesn't mean we spend a third of the time on the Father, a third of the time on the Son, and a third of the time on the Holy Spirit throughout the week. That's not necessarily the emphasis of Scripture. We worship God. And we worship God primarily in terms of the one who has fully revealed God to us, which is Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. But we do understand Him in His fullness, so we do want to appreciate the, 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But then as we venture off that he's not only God, he's the glorifier of Christ, he's the helper, and he's the one who empowers us to live out the Christian life. So when we struggle in living out what we read in the pages of Scripture, primarily the reason that happens is because either we don't understand God's word or we don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And usually there's there's a connection with both. And so this is why we're on this series, making sure that we understand the truth about who the Holy Spirit is. Now, as we think about the Holy Spirit, um, and this is particularly emphasized in the second chapter of the book we're encouraging you to read this past week, as well as doing the homework. We've got all kinds of things for you to do when you leave this place, right? Is that sometimes when people start getting close to God, there is either one or two reactions. One of it, they're filled with an unhealthy fear, or there's the absence of a healthy fear, that they're too casual with God. And so that's what we're going to try to attempt to to emphasize this morning as we think about um, fearing and not fearing the Holy Spirit. Why should we not have an unhealthy fear uh, of God? Or put it this way, an unhealthy fear is a bad thing. And in case you want to understand what the fill in the blank on the next, there's only two major points this morning. A healthy fear is a good thing. An unhealthy fear is a bad thing. A healthy fear is a good thing. Why should we not have an unhealthy fear because of straightforward truth out of Luke chapter 11, 11 through 13. Jesus, and this is Jesus now speaking, if, if a son asks for bread uh, from any father among you, and we've looked at this briefly before, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And one of the fears that are now in our present culture, well, when... Um, Last week you kind of gave me a bad time about trying to give an illustration that none of you understood because I was old and all of you were young. But I, let me give you another kind of window into, into the past. When I was young, and I grew up, uh, part of the time I grew up was in Inglewood. And in Inglewood, um, uh, I guess this would be in the six, <coughs> 60s, <coughs> in the 60s, w- when Halloween came, you know, and my, my parents I would, would not consider being the most, uh, particularly on my mother's side, the most um, fearless type of person. But even, you know, in the 60s in Inglewood, and if you don't know where Inglewood is, I'll tell you about where that is afterwards, uh, we would go out for hours on Halloween night. And we would, we would travel by foot in every street we could get to, and we would bring back so much candy that we... I never did get through all my candy. And we didn't have to have any x-ray machines to see what kind of, you know, whether there's razor blades and the whatever they gave you and did they somehow lace it with some kind of drug or whatever. We, we just went out fearless. Now, even in conservative Orange County, you have, you have parents going to every home with their child. Man, I would have been embarrassed to whatever back then that way. And why, 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 do we, why do we as parents, and now as, did, have I told you I got a grandchild yet? Okay, why, why even as grandparents now do we have a little bit of fear of sending out our, kin, our kids unattended? Because there's some things out there that are not good. They're bad. But as we think about God, we need to realize he's not going to be like that. He's not going to be like the person who decides, I think it's going to be funny to put something in, in some trick-or-treater's bag that's going to hurt them. So if you ask, just like a good dad, if you ask if the, if the 
The child asks for a, a fish. You're, you're not going to give him a scorpion or a serpent. And even in those days, those things would look a lot alike. You could have like a bread. A bread was round and a, and a, and a scorpion could be round, a white scorpion. But he said, that's not, that's not what a good father do. And even, it, even if you haven't had a father like that, your heavenly father would never do that. And he goes on particularly to speak about the Holy Spirit. If then, you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So if we don't get this right, and it wasn't in the fundamental thing about who the Holy Spirit is uh, last week, but you need to understand the Holy Spirit is not only God, He's the glorifier of Christ, He's the helper, He's the one who empowers us to live the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is good. And if you haven't come to that point where you are convinced that God is good, the Father is good, the Son is good, and the Holy Spirit is good, you will have an unhealthy fear of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And often that is the reaction once People give their life to God, give their life to Christ, and they begin to wonder, well, now, now that I give myself completely and fully to me, w- w- what is he going to do with my life? Is, is, he gonna, is he going to send me to Africa? Or, what, or now, that was what it was in the old days, in the 60s with me, okay? It was, well, God sent me to Africa? N- now where are we fearful that God will send us? Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan? Anybody want to? We're going to take, we're going to, you know, it didn't work out for Israel. We're going to go there next week. Anybody want to sign up for that tour? Iraq? North Korea. How about North Korea? Anybody want to I'm going to take a tour to North Korea. You know, and, and sometimes we wonder, what, 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 if I really gave my life to, to God, if I really surrendered my life to the Holy Spirit, will he send me to a place I do not want to, what? Go. And let me just say this to you. It is possible he might. And it's possible he might have already said for you to go and you've said what? No. And and why did you say no? Or why did I say no if if that's what God was telling me to do? Because at that moment, I wasn't totally convinced that the Holy Spirit is what? Good. Do you get that? If we're convinced that the Holy Spirit is good, he can ask me to do what? Anything. And, And if you don't get to that step, Whatever we say next doesn't really matter a whole lot, does it? Because you're going to be holding on to this world and holding on to, to God. You're going to hold on what you want and what He wants. And, and what we have to be convinced, if He asks us to do something that's out of our comfort zone or brings us the initial fear that just traumatizes us, but if we're convinced that is for us, we've got to believe if it's good, it will be good. Now, let's break it up a little bit. If you submit fully to the Holy Spirit, there are two things that happen. One, you can be afraid that God will not show up, and you also can be afraid that God will show up. Now, now what's the distinction there? You're afraid that God will not show up. That is maybe, let's, let's bring it down to, to this place. Let's, 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 uh, let's take it something maybe more um, uh, immediately possible. Let, let's say... Before this service is over, I'm just going to pick one of you randomly to come up here and give their testimony. Okay, that, that's that's doable, right? Just like this verse, Psalm 42:1 is doable. 
just picking someone of you up to come up here right now and give a testimony. That could happen, right? You all ready? <laughs> some are yes and some, well, I'm not going to answer, right? If you, if you don't give me eye contact, then I know you're the person I'm going to pick. All right, so that, that's how I work. I used to try that in school, and it always worked, so I know it doesn't work when you do it to me. All right, well, the thing is, you'd be, okay, well, if I get up there, what if the Holy Spirit doesn't empower me to say something, and all I do is go up there and cry like some pastor I know? Or what happens if I get up there, and I, and I get up there, and I, I, can't, I can't formulate words, and I, I, don't, I don't make any sense, or I get up there, and I, 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 I just blank. Any of those thoughts come through your mind? Okay. It is, it, you're, and you're afraid that if somehow I, I say yes to something that is good to do and it seems like that would honor God and it's an opportunity to serve God and demonstrate my faith. I mean, this is something just simply like that. That, okay, I, I think that I could make that choice, but what if the Holy Spirit, when I do it, doesn't show up and I'm a complete, what? Failure, right? Well, you know, Look at, you're in good company if you've ever thought that thought. Um, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And the background of this, and I have to start moving a little bit faster. Uh, you don't mind if I speak fast, right? Is that we're looking at a church that uh, is named after my oldest son, or at least the, the person we're talking about is named after my oldest son, uh, Timothy. And he's the pastor of a church in Ephesus. A vibrant church. It has a, a book in the Bible all related to its name, and it also is mentioned in other books in the Bible. And he's the pastor of the church, but he, he's struggling. And what he's struggling with, he's, he says, you know, I, I'm wondering if the Holy Spirit is showing up. And he was, and let me be saying, it wasn't just a one-shot deal where he was called up to do something. It was an ongoing experience. And he said, it doesn't seem like it's it's being fruitful. It doesn't seem like it's happening here. And and he had been well trained. It wasn't like what I would, I'm not going to do that to anybody in case you're wondering. If I, I, I like doing those things, but I'm not going to do that today in case you're wondering. It is because, you know, uh, it, there are times where we need to be prepared or at least had some kind of training or at least uh, thought about our, our testimony or asking the question, do I have a testimony? And that's an important one to, to answer as well. But, Paul, uh, but Timothy had been trained by the Apostle Paul. He'd been mentored by him, and so he, he, was, he was well equipped. But Paul had to write back, and this is his, in his uh, second letter, so he'd already had one letter before. Now he gets his second letter, and he says this to him. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, and you could put in there unhealthy fear. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, why did he ask him to stir up the gifts that he had? And basically the stirring up there is, is, you know, get fired up to do what you're able to do, equipped to do, been trained to do. Why did he tell him you need to stir up the embers? You ever had a fire like that? It starts to go out. And the only way to get it going, you have to do a little poking, right? That's why pastors are called to poke, okay, and push and kick and whatever I can do. Okay, get you. Why? Because you need to get those flames going, right? So he's talking to a pastor that had been trained by him, that had gone through ministry for a number of years, and now he was starting to back away. And why was he backing away? Because he was filled with fear. And what was the fear? I think the fear here is he was thinking, you know, the, the Holy Spirit showed up for you, but it's not showing up for me. And quite frankly, what kind of pastor would you not want to uh, be the person who followed? You know, a pastor like the Apostle Paul. 
I mean, you know, take Billy Graham. His son is following him, but Franklin Graham, who is being used of God in a tremendous way, but he realized he doesn't have the speaking gifts that Billy does, and so he does things differently. And so I'm sure, I'm sure Timothy was struggling. I'm, I'm not as good as, as you are. It's not working like it worked when you were here. He was afraid the Holy Spirit wasn't showing up. But let me add, not only is the Holy Spirit is good, but as it relates to showing up, how often does he show up? All the time. And we don't need to play the comparison game. We don't need to, to evaluate ourselves. God is only calling us to be faithful. He's, he's in charge of results. If you do it in dependence upon him, desiring him to be honored, don't worry that much about what happens after that. Stir it up. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power. He'll enable you to do it. He'll give you the mind to do it. And just pursue him. But there's the other side of it. Sometimes the reason that we have an unhealthy fear of the Holy Spirit is we're, we're not sure he's good, but we have an unhealthy fear of the Holy Spirit because he's not going to show up. Sometimes we're afraid he will show up. And let's be honest about walking with the Spirit. Because here the Apostle Paul says this right after he says what he says to Timothy. He says, I want you to know, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. Now, we, we've got to be honest about the Christian life. And I think we spent an entire summer talking about it's awesome, but it's not... You think they got it, Brandon? Okay. It's awesome, but it's not easy. And, and so some of us, we're not afraid the Holy Spirit's not going to show up. We're afraid He will show up. And if He does show up, that means we're going to have some challenges that are unique to being a completely, fully devoted follower of Christ that's living by the power of the Spirit. And Paul's saying, look, you, you don't need to be ashamed of me because I'm right where God wants me to be. I, I'm in prison, I'm suffering, and I'm suffering as a direct result of being led by the Spirit. So if you're going through challenging times in relationships and circumstances that surround you and and there are people who are rejecting you or yelling at you, screaming at you, or, or, or whatever it might be. It's, it's just not as, as, as easy as you thought it would be. That's, that's the Holy Spirit life. You're, you're going to be led into times where you're going to struggle. And, and God is going to demonstrate out of your weaknesses that he is strong. Isn't that what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12? He says, I'm going to glory my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then who is strong? He is strong. And so when Paul was in prison, the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit was evident in a much greater way. And let's just even take it back to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, you know, Jesus has just been baptized, and the Holy Spirit came upon him. His public ministry was going to start. That's Matthew chapter 3. And after Matthew chapter 3 becomes Matthew chapter what? 4. And what happened? It says immediately he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by 40 days and 40 nights by the tempter himself, the evil one. And you know how he was led into the wilderness? It was by the Holy Spirit. So as we go on this adventure of knowing God, as we go on this adventure of really 
getting to know the forgotten God. As we pursue God and Him, particularly through the Spirit, filling us in our life, we need to realize He's good. He'll always show up. He'll enable us to do what He wants us to do and to be. I mean, we will always be successful in God's eyes when we are in the Spirit. And let's be honest, when Paul was, wrote the book of Philippians, and he was in jail, and people were looking at his life, within even the ranks of those who called themselves Christians, they were mocking him. Look, how, how close can he be to God? He's in prison. And Paul said, it doesn't matter to me whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached, I rejoice. And so as we think about following after God, it, it he doesn't want us to have an unhealthy fear that he won't show up or that he will show up. Because if his presence is there, he, he will do what he's promised. I, I like this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. See, what the Holy Spirit is always, always about doing is changing us to become more like Jesus. And that can happen in any and every circumstance. And we can rest in that. But we need to be filled and controlled and empowered by him. Not, fear, not fearful of what he might do in our life. Who's afraid of the Holy Spirit? I hope you're not afraid of the Holy Spirit with an unhealthy fear. But I think we need to look at the other side of the coin. There is a healthy fear that is a good thing. There's a healthy fear that is a good thing of God and, and the Holy Spirit because they're one. If you look in the Old Testament, the Bible's pretty clear about it. Proverbs 1, 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Then it goes on in a very, very favorite passage of people in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, but I want to go on a little bit further. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. And then it goes on and says this, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. And then the next verse. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And then he gives the benefit of that, verse 8, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. When we are trusting in the Lord, which is a kind of a positive way to express our relationship with God, where we lean upon Him, depend upon Him, acknowledge that when we are in His hands, that we're in the good hands of God. But there's another aspect where there's, there's that motivation of the, the fear of the Lord which brings us to that point that we don't want to do anything that disappoints him, that saddens his heart. And that fear will, will cause us not to do anything that, that would be described as evil because that would reflect upon him. In the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2, it says, Work out your salvation with, what's the next word there? Fear and trembling. In the New Testament, one of the words for fear is the word phobia. Does anybody have any phobias here? Okay. 
Robert and I are the only ones that have phobias. Okay, you know, there's all kinds of phobias that are kind of popular in terms of description. Some people have a fear of heights, okay? Some people have a fear of snakes or spiders, you know? Some people have a fear of pastors, you know, all kinds of things like that. Okay, when, when you know, some people, and let, let me say, fear can be defined as reverence and awe, and I think there's an aspect with that, where, where that is true. But if the word phobia is the word God inspired the authors of the New Testament to use, okay, and we could trace how it's used in a variety of different ways that, that would substantiate that. When, when you're up, say if you're afraid of heights, and you get up this little tall building, and they say, go look over the top. I, I have some people who I well, actually related to that, that, have, that have a phobia of heights, and when you're, when you're driving the mountains, they don't want you on that lane closer to the edge. Okay, you know anybody like that? No, can you be over here? I said, well, they got a guardrail there, and there's, you know, there's room behind. No, no, can you be over here? I, I'm afraid. Of, what, what? Well, don't look. Well, I know, but I just know it's, okay, they're afraid of heights, and that just kind of eggs me on to get closer to the edge. Okay, but anyway, is, is you know, when the phobia, okay, there are, no, I won't do that to you. Agree with me. Okay, if, if you have a phobia of heights, would you describe that as a reverence and an awe of being up high? You would never describe it that way. No, I don't want to be here. It, it makes me more careful, right? I want to make sure I'm on every step. Well, there is a place where a healthy fear of God says, I, I want to watch my steps. When I'm around snakes, I want to make sure they're not, what kind of snake? A poisonous snake. Some people can look at snakes and they can immediately de- decide what kind of snake it is. I look at them, they all look poisonous to me. I want to shovel my hand, I want to take off their heads. All right. It is... <laughs> is, you know, what, what is it, what is, you know, you're more careful, okay? Other people say, no, I understand snakes, and that's no big deal. For, for me, I'm saying, I'm going to be, I'm going to take a few steps back, and you can play with the snake. Uh, and so there's a healthy fear of God. We're saying, look, at, God, is, God is gracious and loving, but he's not tame, as C.S. Lewis said. And so as we think about falling after God, we don't, we don't want to approach him with desire that anything that we do will bring shame to his name. And I fear that. I, I fear my life not counting as much as it could because I do not want to disappoint the one who came for me. We've been going through our Luke series. We don't have time to turn it, but it, it, in Luke chapter 12, it talks about not fearing the person in this world that can take your body. But fear the one who can not only take away your body, your life, but your soul. And there's some differences between fearing God before you come to know him to the fear of God when you do know him. But both apply. So what should we be fearful of? What's a healthy fear of God? In terms of living out the Christian life, a, a good fear, or as the, the author in this, pa- this past week will, in your reading, or a legitimate concern would be failing to surrender to the Spirit and living out the life He's called you to live. And let me just hit three real quickly. One, you, don't, you want to be fearful that you would quench, or, or to put it, this, to put it away, put it in your, in your outline, by not quenching the Spirit. You, you, you want to be so connected with God, that you say, I don't, I don't want to, this is a concern of mine that I might be a person um, that falls into 
on a positive way quenching the Spirit, or I want to make sure I don't quench the Spirit. Secondly, I don't want to devalue the Word of God. And thirdly, I, I, I do not want to not know what is good and true. Let's look at them real quickly. Uh, a concern would be uh, that you would not surrender the Spirit by not quenching the Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 19, if you've ever read the end of 1 Thessalonians, he's just firing little things at the very, at the very end of the book saying, hey, here are, some, here are some bullet points you don't want to, want to lose. By not quenching the Spirit. What, what does it mean to quench the Spirit? It, it simply means that what God is trying to do in your life, you simply say no to. And, and you push away. God has moved in your life, and, you, and you're convinced this is what the direction he wants you to go, and you say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not going down that path. I've got my own path figured out. I know what I want to do, and what I want to do is what surpasses what you want to do. We quench the Spirit. We throw a, a bucket of water on what He's trying to do in our lives. And, and these kind of conversations need to be taken all the time in our lives. Okay, God, what is it you want to do in my life that I'm not open to? What are you doing in my life that I want to say, slow down, I'm, I've had enough of that, I'm getting tired. And, and there's a lot of reasons sometimes we quench the Spirit. Say, okay, I, I did that, and I'm not doing that anymore. Okay, it's somebody else's turn. Or why doesn't anybody else do that? And why am I the one only doing that? Whatever it might be. Or, or, or I know you want me to, to, to speak a word to this person who's, who's going down the wrong path. Maybe it's a Christian that's falling into sin. And I, I want, man, if I say that, what, what are they going to? Don't quench what God is trying to communicate to you. That's cleared out of God's word. This is what we ought to be all about. So as we, as we live by the power of the Spirit in our lives, we, we want to not be afraid of what He wants us to do, and, but we do want to be afraid that we might say no to what He wants us to do. Don't quench the Spirit. Secondly, we don't want to devalue the Word of God. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Do not despise prophecies. Now, what is a prophecy? In 2 Peter chapter 1, 19-21, we have this. And, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. What you do well to heed is a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning that rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, not just something that someone picks up and begins to say to people. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were, moved by the Holy Spirit. And so often what we need to realize is God has given us so many things he wants us to know and to do. And we're ignoring what he has said. Now, in those days, they, they had people had the gift of prophecy. And there were some people that would say things and say, I, I don't like that. But we need to realize that God has given us the truth. And as Peter wrote during that day, he said, look at what you have here laid out. You need to realize that the author of that is from God. See, the Holy Spirit basically does two things with the Word of God. He inspires it. He brought us to us. And then he illuminates us, giving us the ability to understand it. And then thirdly, he empowers us to live it out. And we despise what God has said when we aren't committed to living it out. There's an interesting passage in Colossians 3.16 which says that, Let the Word of Christ dwell richly within you. And then it describes exactly what happens from Ephesians chapter 5 about when a person is controlled by the Holy Spirit. When you're living out God's word, then you are living by the Spirit of God guiding and directing you. 
And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, turn to that. I didn't put that in your outline. But we have Paul speaking bluntly to them in terms of, again, what it means uh, to live by the Spirit, but not only live by the Spirit, but to be in the the perspective we're looking at today is be afraid that you're not going to do this. He says, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. There are a lot of things happening in our in our America today culturally. You know, some tendencies, some directions, and things that that happen sometimes because of technological advances and exposure that people have at much younger ages. And I don't have the time to give you all the statistics related to that. But but for a child of God, and as we raise people to know the Lord, and at whatever age you are in. You know, this, this simple exhortation to, to know what is good and know what is true, to abstain from every form of evil, to test the things that are good. And sometimes the things that, that can trip God's people up are not always the evil things, but the things that are good but not the best. Or, or to use that which is neutral and use it in a way that, that can destroy you. I think we've all been sobered by another shooting at a school. You know, it's interesting as I, as I read the reports about uh, what happened at Marysville School in Washington, and as a young man, a freshman in high school comes in, his name's Jalen Freiberg, comes in and, and uh, kills one and wounds four. And initially the headline was, uh, the a person who doesn't fit the mold to, to run in here and, and be violent because he was a popular student. He was a member of the football team. He was just voted prince of homecoming. He, he had uh, good grades. He had 2,000 people on his Facebook. How, how did this happen with a person that was, seemed to be so well-adjusted? I, you know, sometimes, you know, most times I just skim articles because there's you know, so much stuff to read. But if you read the entire thing, I'm thinking, you answered that question. Here's some of the things they put in just one little paragraph in the midst of multiple paragraphs within this article. Well, they did discover in his social media post that it was rife with profanity, anguish, frank sexuality, and pornographic images. This is for a 14-year-old. And statements about a girlfriend, I I cannot live without you. I I don't care how many people you got on your Facebook or if you got voted to the the homecoming uh, court and you're a good student and and you're an athlete and, and you're popular. But all it, all it takes is, is, is a little compromise here. In fact, it's interesting. They, they, didn't call it, they didn't call it just profanity. They called it juvenile profanity. Now, what's different between profan- uh, mature profanity and juvenile profanity? I, as far as I know, it's just what? Just profanity. And frank sexuality and, and pornographic material and expressions of anguish and despair. It wasn't just a moment in which he rushed into that 
cafeteria or schoolroom, wherever it was, and began taking shots. He had began to be involved in things that were evil. And that more described who he was on the inside than the things that looked on the outside. And let's just be honest. That can happen anywhere. Where where it looks one way on the outside, but it's not what's on the inside. When Jesus was here, he said, look, you're so concerned about washing the outside of the cup. You need to wash the inside of the cup. And see, that's what the Holy Spirit does. And, and, and it's natural sometimes to be afraid of what he might do. But if he's good, he can be trusted. And at times where we get a little lax and feel, well, it's only juvenile. I mean, I can kind of sow my oats and do whatever I want. Have a healthy fear of God. The Holy Spirit is good. But he's holy. And he wants to make a difference in all of our lives. Let's pray. Well, I think for all of us, you desire for us to be honest and open with you. We, We all fall short. This is not a performance strip we're talking about. But we're talking about being available for you to do in our lives what you want to do. For that which is good. Not easy, but that which is good. And Father, I would pray that each one of us might simply just surrender. Surrender to the, the one who inspired the word of God. Who enables us to live out the word of God. Who gives us the ability to understand the word of God. To live a life where people can see Jesus in us. And Father, if there be anyone here that doesn't know you, might they just surrender to Jesus. To have him come in to be the Lord and Savior of their life. As we continue to worship this morning, might we just be people who surrender to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.